Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the podcast where we do things the Hemingway we're talking about. Chapter 76, Master Manipulator Mildred. I wonder how much she meant for what happened to happen, you know? Her little sob story that she did, turning on the waterworks, got really the ideal outcome for her. She got a fully paid holiday with her new boyfriend, paid for by this other idiot that she doesn't care about, Philip. It's the it's the ultimate thing she could have hoped for out of that interaction. And it makes me think, is she that good? Did she go in there hoping that that exact thing would happen? Swim said the mum officially said this. This passage was hilarious. She was sitting in the chair in which Nora had sat and wept. And like her, she hit her face on the back of it towards where there was a little bump formed by the sagging in the middle where the head had rested. I'm not lucky with women, thought Philip. And Trevor agreed. That is funny. It sounds so young and clueless. Jan Brunt said, Philip is a masochist. He gets pleasure in humiliation. He's so low now that I wonder how he'll ever get back to being a normal human. There was a thing earlier in the novel about him uh, punishing himself in a religious sense as a, what do they call it when you... um, when you punish yourself or you, what's the word? You know, people like will whip themselves or that kind of thing to absolve them of their sin or whatever they're doing. Cutilli said this, yeah, Philip's masochism is diabolical. I enjoyed his moment of defiance in the last chapter and I foolishly thought he had finally grown a spine. But again, I overestimated him. His behaviour in today's chapter makes me hate his guts. Damn, such a weakling. And what great friends he has. Despicable people, all three of them. Agreed. I am Norwegian, said Philip. And Intrepa said, It's well worth noting, fellow writers, that while we are gnashing our teeth at Philip and saying how stupid and weak he is, there is something we are not saying, and the fact that we are not saying it is a tribute to the skill of the author... No one has said that it isn't believable that the character of Philip is doing these things. The things he has done, debasing himself repeatedly, jeopardizing his career and ruining his finances, are the outside of extreme, yet we accept without question that the character is doing them. We hate him for it, yes, but no one has said it's not believable. It's worth looking back to see how the author accomplished this. Yeah, it is well done. He's a well done character. He's very unlikable but he is also very fun to hate. And you do get a sense that... If you... You can imagine that someone would do this, act this way, but also if you did know someone who acted this way, you would think it would be completely ridiculous. So yeah, it is very well done by the author to tread that line of unbelievable yet believable. Alright, we're going to read chapter 77... Now, if I can find it. Oh, yawning. I'm yawning. All right, here we go. Chapter 77, I have found it. After lunching in the basement of the medical school, Philip went back to his rooms. It was sun. It was Saturday afternoon, and the landlady was cleaning the stairs. Is Mr. Griffiths in? he asked. No, sir. He went away this morning, soon after you went out. Isn't he coming back? 
I don't think so, sir. He's taken his luggage. Philip wondered what this could mean. He took a book and began to read. It was Burton's Journey to Mecca, which he had just got out of the Westminster Public Library, and he read the first page but could make no sense of it, for his mind was elsewhere. He was listening all the time for the ringing, for a ringing at the bell. He dared not hope that Griffiths had gone away already, without Mildred to his home in Cumberland. Mildred would be coming presently for the money. He set his teeth and read on. He tried, desperately, to concentrate his attention. The sentences etched themselves in his brain by the force of his effort, but they were distorted by the agony he was enduring. He wished with all his heart that he had not made the horrible proposition to give them money. But now that he had made it, he lacked the strength to go back on it, not on Mildred's account, but on his own. There was a morbid obstinacy in him which forced him to do the thing he had determined. He discovered that the three pages he had read had made no impression on him at all, and he went back and started from the beginning. He found himself reading one sentence over and over again, and now it weaved itself in with his thoughts, horribly like some formula in a nightmare. One thing he would he could do was to go out and keep away till midnight. They could not go then, and he saw them calling at the house every hour to ask if he was in. He enjoyed the thought of their disappointment. He repeated that sentence to himself mechanically, but he could not do that. Let them come and take the money, and he would know then that what depths of infamy it was possible for men to descend. He could not read any more now. He simply could not see the words. He leaned back in his chair, closing his eyes, and numb with misery, waited for Mildred. The landlady came in. Will you see Mrs. Miller, sir? Show her in. Philip pulled himself together to receive her without any sign of what he was feeling. He had an impulse to throw himself on his knees and seize her hands and beg her not to go away, but he knew there was no way of moving her. She would tell Griffiths what he had said and how he had acted. <clears throat> he was ashamed, excuse me. <clears throat> well, how about the little jaunt, he said gaily. We are going. Harry's outside. I told him you didn't want to see him, so he's kept out of your way. But he wants to know if he can come in just for a minute to say goodbye to you. No, I won't see him, said Philip. He could see she did not care if he saw Griffiths or not. Now that she was there, he wanted her to go quickly. Look here, here's the fiver. I'd like you to go now. She took it and thanked him. He, She turned to leave the room. When are you coming back? she asked. Oh, on Monday. Harry must go home then. He knew what he was going to say was humiliating, but he was broken down with jealousy and desire. Then I shall see you, shan't I? He could not help the note of appeal in his voice. Of course. I'll let you know the moment I'm back. He shook hands with her. Through the curtains he watched her jump into a four-wheeler that stood at the door. It rolled away. Then he threw himself on his bed and hid his face in his hands. He felt tears coming to his eyes and he was angry with himself. He clenched his hands and screwed up his body to prevent them, but he could not, and great painful sobs were forced from him. He got up at last, exhausted and ashamed, and washed his face. He mixed himself a strong whiskey and soda. It made him feel a little better. Then he caught sight of the tickets to Paris, which were on the chimney piece, and seizing them with an impulse to rage, he flung them in the fire. He knew he could have gotten the money back on them, but it relieved him to destroy them. 
Then he went out in search of someone to be with. The club was empty. He felt he could go mad unless he found someone to talk to, but Lawson was abroad. He went on to Hayward's rooms. The maid who opened the door told him that he had gone down to Brighton for the weekend. Then Philip went to a gallery and found it was just closing. He did not know what to do. He was distracted. And he thought of Griffiths and Mildred going to Oxford, sitting opposite one another in the train, happy. He went back to his rooms, but they filled him with horror. He had been so wretched in them. He tried once more to read Burton's book, but as he read, he told himself again and again what a fool he had been. It was he who had made the suggestion that they should go away. He had offered the money. He had forced it upon them. He might have known what would happen when he introduced Griffiths to Mildred. His own vehement passion was enough to arouse the other's desire. By this time they had reached Oxford. They would put up in one of the lodging houses in John Street. Philip had never been to Oxford, but Griffiths had talked to him about it so much that he knew exactly where they would go, and they would dine at the Clarendon. Griffiths had been in the habit of dining there when he went on the spree. Philip got himself something to eat in a restaurant near Charing Cross. He had made up his mind to go to a play, and afterwards he fought his way into the pit of a theatre at which one of Oscar Wilde's pieces was being performed. He wondered if Mildred and Griffiths would go to a play that evening. They must kill the evening somehow. They were too stupid, both of them, to content themselves with conversation. He got a fierce delight in reminding himself of the vulgarity of their minds, which suited them so exactly to one another. He watched the play with an abstracted mind, trying to give himself gaiety by drinking whiskey in each interval. He was unused to alcohol and it affected him quickly, but his drunkenness was savage and morose. When the play was over, he had another drink. He could not go to bed. He knew he would not sleep, and he dreaded the pictures which his vivid imagination would place before him. He tried not to think of them. He knew he had been drunk. He knew he had drunk too much. Now he was seized with the desire to do horrible, sordid things. He wanted to roll himself in gutters. His whole being yearned for beastliness. He wanted to grovel. He walked up Piccadilly, dragging his club foot, sombrely drunk, with rage and misery clawing at his heart. He was stopped by a painted harlot who put her hand on his arm. He pushed her violently away with brutal words. He walked on a few steps and then stopped. She would do as well as another. He was sorry he had spoken so roughly to her. He went up to her. I say, he began. Go to hell, she said. Philip laughed. I merely wanted to ask you if you'd do me the honour of supping with me tonight. She looked at him with amazement and hesitated for a while. She saw he was drunk. I don't mind. He was amused that she should use a phrase he had heard so often on Mildred's lips. He took her to one of the restaurants he had been in the habit of going to with Mildred. He noticed, as they walked along, that she looked down at his limp limb. I've got a club foot, he said. Have you got any objection? You are a cure, she laughed. When he got home, his bones were aching, and in his head there was a hammering that made him nearly scream. He took another whiskey and soda to steady himself, and going to bed sank into a dreamless sleep until midday. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. Philip is getting drunk and picking up prostitutes. Okay.
cool. Way to go, Philip. Way to go. Really living your best life. Have your say about this one over at the subreddit. Thanks very, very, very much for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.